how do you grow like a VC-backed company without taking on investors? Do you want to create a lifestyle business, a performance business, or an empire? How do you scale to an exit without losing your freedom? Those are the questions, and this show is the answer. Welcome, everybody, to the Scale Up Show. I have a very special guest with me today. I have Rob Moore. Rob is the host of the Disruptive Entrepreneur Podcast. Over 700 episodes, millions of episodes, millions of downloads, I should say, Rob. Absolutely killing it there. He's doing over nine figures in revenue on the trading side of his business. He is also mentor and advisor to celebrities and multimillionaires. And I think he had over 15 billionaires on his podcast. Is that right, Rob? Uh, 16 with my 17th arranged. <laughs> awesome, man. Well, super happy to have you on the show. Uh, you are a unicorn of a guest in terms of some of the things that you've done. So I absolutely love that. Um, what I love to hear, man, is, and I just scratched the surface of what you're involved in, what you're working on. Can you give everyone just a quick understanding of all the things that you're kind of focused on right now, your different businesses, your attention empire, as we shall put it, um, and, and just walk us through that real quick, man. So everybody has a good starting point. Sure. So I run the UK's largest property training company called Progressive Property. And then in 2008, we acquired a business and personal development training company. I acquired that for virtually nothing and built that in its peak to an 11 million um, pounds revenue in 2016. So that company's now... 16 years old, it's its 16th anniversary. And, you know, on a COVID year, it might be 12 million and in a non-COVID year, it might be 20 or so sterling. I'd add a bit of change on for dollars, top line revenue. In that time, I've written 18 or co-written or written 18 business and real estate related books. Probably my most well-known uh, money and life leverage. I have two podcasts, The Disruptive Entrepreneur and Money. And now we're over a thousand episodes, I think, across those two podcasts. I broke the world record for the longest public speech and then broke it again with a team twice um, over sort of the 2015 to 2018 years. I have a foundation called the Rob Moore Foundation that helps young and underprivileged people start meaningful businesses that change the world. This last 12 months, I've focused on being a creator and spending as much time creating more content as I do running my companies. I have more than a million followers on my social media now, one of the top 100 followed on Clubhouse. I have about 1,500 tenants in my real estate business. We have a management company, the, the largest property management company in our city. And we're developing two apartment blocks of about 220 tenants that will be in those two apartment blocks. One of them actually made a, a 13 million four hundred and seventy seven pound net profit in November 21. Wow. That was rolled up over some months, but it was one of my best months. And those two projects are probably worth northern north of twenty five million dollars, maybe more. Um, so that's a little bit of a landscape history, I suppose, of my um, entrepreneurial journey, as you asked, moving beyond and into the future, I'm probably going to launch a series of NFTs for my top fans and followers uh, and, and working on 
you know, helping as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get better financial education. So my personal mission and vision that I'd like to spend the next 50 years on is teaching people how to build multiple streams of recurring income and get better financial knowledge. I don't think that the information in schools is modern enough for being innovative, enterprising and entrepreneurial. And so I want to make sure I give back and do a lot more work with my foundation. Um, so, yeah, I, I suppose that answers your question on, on a bit of a journey over the last 16 years. I'm now just about to hit 43. So I'm a bit of a granddad now in this. <laughs> <laughs> These young YouTubers making millions of entertainment. You know, some of them are, are kind of like people I look up to now, whereas it was the 70 year old billionaires I, look, I used to look up to when I was 27. Well, there's a, there's a, like 500 things we could unpack from that little little um, intro that you gave, Matt. Absolutely impressive. I love that you're looking at long term with giving back to young entrepreneurs and, and helping educate. Because I agree, Matt, like college is is broken, no matter college or university, whatever you want to say, it's absolutely broken. So um, so let me let's dig into a couple of those areas, because I'd, I'd love to hear your journey on that. So why rob why like did you decide you have all those businesses all those things going on why did you really decide over the last year and a half to focus on creating content and and really doubling down on that with everything else that you have going on why uh number one first and foremost which should be the driver of your decisions is i really enjoy it i don't enjoy managing tenants i don't enjoy dealing with insurance and brokers <laughs> and lawyers accountants not that, that there's nothing wrong with that it's just not my flow i really enjoy things like this sharing content hopefully inspiring other people like people inspired me and hopefully giving people some practical tactics i think that being a creator is a legitimate career now whereas maybe it wasn't five years ago many of the social media platforms that i'm quite um prolific and consistent on are rewarding me with many monetization tools. It opens up massive collaboration opportunities. I love meeting really cool and interesting people and you get to do that in your interviews and collaborations. Uh, so really that's the main driver. Another driver is it's an additional income stream. So, you know, I've got um, book and audio book income streams. I've got real estate income streams. I've got um, property management income streams. I've got my training businesses income streams. And the sort of creator and social media monetization income streams, an additional income stream, an unrelated income stream. It's also where you're going to meet 99% of your followers, fans, subscribers, customers, and collaborators on social media. So it's a merging of many worlds that I'm really interested in. And it's also a way to appear into the future of NFTs and cryptos and the metaverse in all these discord communities and you know, you learn a lot of the information on in clubhouse rooms and things like that. So they're the main reasons why I'm really keen on the creator space. Uh, and also because, you know, running companies shouldn't be a full time job. If you've got a good senior team and a good MD or good board members, you, know, you shouldn't have to be working on those full time. If you do, then you're not leveraged enough and you haven't got the right senior team and the right staff. And, you know, across my main companies now, staff in-house and contractors and outsourcers we now have about 250 people on the payroll so um if i have to work 24 7 in my company i'm not leveraging enough the specialist roles of those 250 odd people that are on our payroll 
So doing other things in the creator space commits me to being more leveraged and, re you know, relying on my senior team to really grow the companies. So uh, I, how many hours a week do you work on average? That is, that is a really var variable question because I'm the most consistently inconsistent and inconsistently <laughs> consistent person you're likely to meet in that I get this routine and I get really religious to it and I hack it. And then I change it up because I'm bored and I work on lots of different projects. And then you've got to define what's work and what's pleasure. So actual hours, grafting, I would say four hours a day, something like that. Um, some hours, some days I have two hours of meetings. Some days I have four hours of meetings. Some days I have no meetings. So I'd say on average four, but you know, when the lockdown happened, that was 14 hours a day. And I, I was prepared to do whatever it took to make sure that while the world was burning around us, we didn't get caught in flames. So I'll do what needs to be done. And sometimes it's 14 hours a day and sometimes it's two hours a day. I spent three or four years over the last 16 in semi-retirements and traveling the world with my son's golf and spending a month a year in Cayman Islands and a month a year in Dubai. And then I start a new project and then they get all obsessed about it again. So I'm consistently inconsistent and I, people probably shouldn't copy me on that. Like many entrepreneurs like variety and I'm this sort of paradox of liking to work and liking to leverage and outsource, liking a lifestyle that I choose because I'm an entrepreneur, but liking to do deep, long, hard, meaningful work because that's also fulfilling. Well, so here's the thing. I see you everywhere, right? Omnipresent Rob, we'll call you right now. So how do you only work four hours a day when I see you doing clubhouse rooms all the time? You do the reoccurring revenue or reoccurring income summit. Like you're, you're always doing stuff like that. So how do you how do you make that a reality then with all the businesses and all the things and and how, I guess, and I'm sure you're going to leverage it, but I, I just, I, how are you everywhere? Yeah. So there's two words, leverage and repurposing. So the Recurring Income Summit, which is a two-day, 16-hour special event we run, I do two slots an hour each, day one and day two. And I've got my partners and the founder of Netflix and billionaires and the host who do the other slots. So, you know, I do one slot every eight, one hour every eight. That's leverage. Um, when I do clubhouse rooms, I'll start the room, I'll bring in a squad and we'll each take in turns to do our half-hour slot and I'll do one half-hour slot in a three-hour room. Currently, right now, I'm in a clubhouse room, but I'm not in a clubhouse room and someone else is running it. So there's leverage there. So that's the way I like to play the game. I've got a senior team. I've got 85, 90 in-house staff in my training businesses and lettings business. So I'm only one of those guys. I only do one eight, one eighty-ninth or 190th of the hours required to, to run those businesses. So that's number one, leverage. And then number two is repurposing, whereby I'll create content on one platform and I'll share it on all the others. So I'll often be live in Clubhouse and Instagram at the same time while recording a podcast episode, or I'll do something like this with you. And then we'll chop up the best bits for TikTok and Instagram reels and Facebook and YouTube and everything else. So 
one piece of content into 10, into 40, into 50 gives the illusion of, well, it's not an illusion of omnipresence. It is omnipresence, but it's an illusion of live omnipresence. Yeah. And, and, uh, in full transparency, I am a client of Rob, Rob's for the omnipresence. So he's, the team does an amazing job. Absolutely love it. And it's, it's a way of working smarter versus harder, but Rob, how did you get that point? So like you're starting off, you're early on, or you've been, you've been doing the entrepreneur game for a while. How do you build an audience? So number one is you've got to post content regularly. Number two, you've got to be clear what your niche is to attract the right audience. Number three, you've got to try and hack virality somehow, whether it's getting shares or doing interview collabs or finding a channel in its viral phase of growth. Number four is you've got to try and be a bit different, interesting, unique, quirky, disruptive, contrarian, controversial, polarizing, memorable. And then you've just got to keep at it and push through some droughts and push through some times where you feel like it's not really working and keep testing new platforms and new tactics, new places to go live, new content, new headlines. So I'd say that's a little five-step process of growing an audience in the quickest way possible. Love that, ma'am. Okay, so you mentioned NFTs. Why, why do you think NFTs are the future? Like, I know you're, you're spinning up a new project on that, but why are they the future? Why are NFTs the future? Well, NFTs are possibly a part of the future. Okay, gotcha. They're not okay. the future because what goes up can also come down and it's in an earlier adopter phase, but it may flatline or it may reverse. So for me, NFTs are part of the digital revolution. Now, if you think about it, the digital revolution was started by the internet and the internet isn't even four decades old. And other things like telecommunications and rail and steel and oil, these are all centuries old. So the internet spawned the digital revolution as opposed to the industrial revolution or any other kind of revolution. And so what's gaining speed is information exchange across the, the planet faster than ever, the global interconnected network effect of reach instantaneously, and then all these new digital assets that are being built, cryptocurrencies, blockchains, altcoins, ICOs, DAOs, NFTs, the metaverse, you know, all these new disruptive digital assets, essentially. It's exciting, it's new, but it's also the Wild West. It's a land grab in the digital space. Some of these are going to be here to stay and are going to boom and become the future of digital real estate. And some of these are going to be a little bit of a, a flash in the pan. What do they call those coins that were flash in the pans? I think they call them shit coins. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, NFTs are exciting because they're a part of this digital revolution where we're in the decentralized economy and decentralized media and social media where an artist or a creator anyone you and i can set up our own digital assets and we can do it fairly quickly and with 
low friction. So I've been planning for many months my own NFT launch, but I don't want to get pulled into the hype or do something gimmicky or just for the sake that everyone's doing an NFT or talking about it. I want to make sure that has real value. Um, and it's, a, it's not risky, you know, for my community and my followers. So I can't speak any more about it, but my NFT will have utility attached to it and not just, hey, buy a JPEG off me, you know, for a <laughs> load of money. Um, even though I used to be an artist, so I'd be more credible than some. But um, really what the NFT is, it's just a, a new form of asset and a new form of a launch, really. Love that, man. Absolutely love that. So let's let's take a step back a little bit and talk about your journey, right? So we talked about where you're at today. You know, the one thing that we didn't talk about is how you how you got here and who you had to become to make that a reality. So can you walk us through that from a high level, your entrepreneurial journey? And then who did you have to become first before you started to have these results? Okay. So who I had to become was someone that had a less of a need to people please and could accept and face criticism, challenge and trolls and haters and someone who was more comfortable with who they are and a thicker skin to rejection and hate. That's who I had to become. And that person can then deal with challenges with no loss of enthusiasm that person can go from rejection to rejection until they finally succeed. That person can have the resilience to deal with, you know, the constant barrage of things that would otherwise break other startup entrepreneurs. And that's what every entrepreneur has got to become if they want to really grow. And I wasn't that person for 30 to 35 years because I was the fattest kid in school in my year for three years straight. And so I had a lot of bullying physical and emotional, but more emotional and as much in my own head as it was from other people. Right. And the only way I survived and adapted growing up in school with that was by coping, by, by learning to people please, which is to learn to agree with everyone and never cause any friction and, you know, always be the guy that would listen to everyone and, you know, the, the guy that everyone liked and the guy that liked everyone and the guy that was just nice and, you know, that, that fitted in and would always... You know, I, I would hang out with the guys that were into the rap music and the guys that were into the rock music and the sporty people and the, the kind of more intellectuals and the book readers and the geeks and, you know, all the different fraternities and groups you got at school. Yeah. I sort of merged into this chameleon of being all of them. And in that journey, I lost myself. I didn't know who I was. And wow. I couldn't take criticism and I couldn't take rejection because it meant feeling lost and hurt and lonely as I felt for three years when I was really overweight. The problem with that being an entrepreneur is it's just not that kind of personality it makes it really hard to cut it as an entrepreneur because you have to deal with challenge. You have to deal with, you know, rejection. You have to deal with having a clear vision and what do you stand for and what do you stand against? And, having legal issues and customer complaints and all the things that go with growing a business, all the downsides that counterbalance the freedom of being your own boss. But the greatest thing about being an entrepreneur is entrepreneurship taught me those lessons. It gave me those gifts. And so really I had to kind of have a, an evolution of my 
personality and learn to become that. And I'm still deep down, the soft, people-pleasing, don't want to cause any rifts or conflicts. There's still that inside me, but it's just, it doesn't, I, I can play the character and the role of being disruptive or transcending criticism, knowing that I'm going to piss people off in the pursuit of my own vision, knowing that if I stand for something, people are going to stand against me and being totally okay with that. And, you know, facing that courage to be disliked and ridiculed and ostracized and tormented and trolled and hated and still having no loss of enthusiasm and drive and desire to achieve my vision, which is to help as many people on this planet start and scale their business and get better financial education. And, you know, I think it was Churchill that said, if you stop at every dog that barks, you'll never get to your destination. And there's going to be a dog every five minutes around the corner that's going to bark at you. That bark is going to be, come over to this business. Don't do this. I don't like you. You shouldn't be doing this. It's going to, this dog's going to bark in many forms. Look at the dog, smile at the dog and carry on walking forward. And that's what I had to learn. And that was who I had to become. And really the main driver of that, Ryan, was because in December the 15th, 2005, my um, dad had a nervous breakdown in his pub in front of all of his customers and was um, diagnosed with bipolar and was arrested and sectioned. And he, he was, this was 16 years ago and he's just turned 78 and wow. he's still really ill, but he's still there. And he raised me to be an entrepreneur and I lost my way from age kind of 13 to 27, got stuck in the school system you know, wanting to impress the intellectuals, went to university, got a useless degree, went to work in debt in my dad's pub and built up a lot of consumer debt, like a lot of people do who put themselves through school and university. And it was my dad's nervous breakdown that was a rude awakening for me to go and actually take some risks and face my fears and start that business that I knew I always wanted to do. Wow. Yeah, man. I mean, so I, I could say that's one of the things that I struggle with what you just talked about right there, where you get distracted or you're, you should do this. You shouldn't do that. I mean, there's so many voices, especially if you're trying to be active on social media, there's a lot of empty calories on there as well. Like if you, if you let it consume you and um, cause I, I got brought up man in the, the corporate environment where it was like, you were told what to do all the time. Right. And so it was just really interesting. And that's something I'm finally breaking through. So uh, thank you for sharing that, man. That'll inspire and help a lot of people, I think. So My thank pleasure. you, ma'am. Appreciate you on that. So um, we're, we're getting close on time. So I, I just kind of want to wrap things up and, you know, a, a couple quick fast fire questions for you. So who is the favorite guest, your favorite guest you've ever had on your podcast? I've had over 200 guests. It's hard to pick out of all the billionaires and the mega celebrities. But my most challenging interview that I did twice was Floyd Mayweather. He tested my skills the most. It was the hardest. He was the most defensive. So for that reason, and the twice, and the challenge it forced me to grow, I'd have to choose Floyd Mayweather. I would never have guessed that. I'm going to go back and listen to that because I have not heard that one. So that's awesome. Okay, so what would you say is your the favorite? Your, have you, do you, are you a reader, by the way? Or no, or do you just watch video and content? Okay, what's your favorite? I would assume so. You've written freaking 18 books, so I'm assuming you're a reader. Um, what's your favorite book you've read over the last couple of years? Okay, so I've read 3,000 books. Um, and my favorite two of all time are Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill, because that taught me to think and yeah. grow rich. 
and Arnold Schwarzenegger's autobiography because that taught me to think bigger than I ever thought possible. Wow. I'm, you're the first person I've heard mention Schwarzenegger's. That's another one. Okay. Think You Grow Rich. I've read it. How many times have you read Think You Grow Rich? Yeah, a few. <laughs> Some people have read it like 50 times. I'm not kidding you. Like they're obsessed with that book. So anyways, what's your favorite tool in your business that you couldn't live without? I would say my favorite tool is not a tool. It is the people. Hmm. There you go. Okay. Um, last but not least, where do you see with, with AI, machine learning, all this tech, the metaverse, where is the world of business going over the next 10 years? The world of business is going where it's been going for the last 30 years, which is online. It's just what form? Is it social media? Is it the metaverse? Is it the blockchain? It's the fastest evolution of information exchange the lowest friction of speed of implementation. So I couldn't tell you in 10 years where we're going to be because the online world is going to have changed dramatically because it gets faster and faster and faster. But one lesson I've had is I jumped into many things too slowly. Facebook, mm -hmm. YouTube, Instagram, Clubhouse, you name it. I jumped in too slow. Cryptos, Bitcoin, so what I would just say is when you hear enough people you respect talk about a new tech or a new platform or a new media or a new asset, try it, test it, open it, launch it and give it a go. Don't go all in, only invest capital you can afford to lose when you start. But if you get in early enough in all the new proven, don't, not when one person said it, when five people have said it that you respect but you only need one of them to go big and you'll go really big. Love that, man. Awesome. Where can people find you? Where can they learn more about Rob Moore and the disruptive entrepreneur? Okay. So my podcast is called the disruptive entrepreneur. You find that anywhere. And um, you can find me on all socials at Rob Moore or at Rob Moore progressive. And then I have some money related gifts that I share, which is robmore.com forward slash M M M as in make more money. So I'm writing two new money books, Increase Your Fees With Ease and The Laws of Money. I'll be giving free digital copies of those away before launch. And you can gain access to those 16 billionaire interviews, the Floyd Mayweather ones, et cetera. Robmore.com forward slash MMM. Love it, man. Thanks for being on the show. It was awesome having you on and I loved your insights. Pleasure, Ryan. Thanks for being a great host. I'll see you soon. See you soon. Thank you for checking out The Scale Up Show. My mission in life is to help founders and revenue leaders avoid all the pain and suffering in revenue growth so they can flip it and create a life of their own design. So if you enjoyed this show, please like, review, share it on social, and more importantly, just share it with a friend. Share it with someone that you think could learn and benefit from what you heard on today. But the more we get the message out, the more people we could help, the bigger the impact we make, and the bigger the community gets, which helps everybody. So once again, thank you for being a loyal listener. I appreciate you and look forward to seeing you on the next episode.